look at that. I made it back to scripture reading. I needed to take a minute to congratulate myself. And I want to take a minute to congratulate you for being here. Because it is a hard thing to get to make that time to read our scriptures, to come closer to Christ. It is just so much. We got to battle so much, you know, internal, external, all the things. So we're in Revelation chapter 6. And this section goes to 14, but that already seems like a lot to be recorded on one sitting. So I'm not quite sure if we're going to make it to 14 in this one recording. But we'll just see how it goes. And we'll go from there. Um, in this revelation, there's kind of an overview timeline. So we had the introduction and vision of Jesus Christ in Revelation 1. In revelation 2-3, we had messages from John to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And then we had Revelation five and six, 4 and 5, scenes from heaven. Revelation, And then the following revelations are going to kind of give you what they're about. So Revelation 4 and 5 are... Or Revelation 6 and 7 are seals 1 to 6. Revelation 8 to 11, the seventh seal. Revelation 12 to 13, the war in heaven and continuation on earth. Revelation 14 to 16, the restoration of the gospel and the last days. Revelation 17 to 18, the rise of Babylon, saints called out of Babylon. Revelation 19, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation 20, the millennium. Revelation 21, the earth attains celestial glory in revelation 22 saints receive celestial glory so there's a lot of stuff happening in revelation revelation chapter 6 verse 1 and i saw when the lamb opened one of the seals one of the four beasts and i heard as it were the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying come and see okay sorry i had to take a minute uh 30 second break to do some hip stretches, hip flexors. Ooh, cause my walking was starting to hurt and I had just started. So kind of done, but we're still going. Okay. And then verse two, and I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So this was the first seal. And uh, this seal covers the Earth's history between 4,000 to 3,000 BC. And what does John see? Elder Bruce R. McConkie teaches that this is Enoch. Others suggest it is Adam. So that's crazy. Okay, and then we have the second seal is verse 3 to three and four. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So this seal is about 3000 to 2000 BC. During this time, widespread wickedness and violence covered the earth, which included the great flood during the days of Noah. See Genesis chapter 6 to 11, Moses chapter 7, verse 24 to 43, and Moses chapter 8, verses 1 to 30. The rider of the red horse had power to take peace 
from the earth and that they should kill one another. Revelation 6, 4. So the writer in this first seal was righteous and now in the second seal is evil. Who was the writer? Perhaps Satan himself or someone else whom we have no record of, regardless of who was upon the horse. It is evident that mankind had reached the level of wickedness. That a flood was how God dealt with his children upon the earth. Ooh, excuse me. Notice in verse 4 that power was given to him to take peace from the earth. This would have been temporary power. Interesting. Okay. Seal number 3. Verse 5 and 6. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So in seal 3, now the time period is about 2000 to 1000 BC, and this is a time of great famine, a penny for a Greek generation, or denarian, sorry, was a whole day's wage. And whole story here is about the money buying food, or rather the food being very expensive. This was a time when the judgments of God were upon the earth. For example, Joseph of Egypt lived during this time. Oh, there you go. Stuff is starting to make sense, huh? Okay. And then seal number four is verses seven and eight. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four, fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. The power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Oof. Now this time period is about 1000 BC to the birth of Christ. This was a time of great wars upon the earth and nations conquering other nations. Persia, Egypt, Babylon, Rome, all exercised their control over the Jews as various world leaders sought to expand their world domination. This was also a time of war and wickedness among the Nephites and Lamanites. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that seem, that makes sense because of the war chapters in the Book of Mormon come before Christ was, was come. Okay, and then seal number five. Okay, the fifth seal, <clears throat> sorry, has is verse 9, 10, and 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on, earth, on the earth? And the white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season unto their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed, as they were, should be fulfilled. Okay, so the fifth seal. So this is the birth of Christ to about AD 1000. This was the time when many Christians became martyrs. John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, James, Paul, Peter, and many others gave their lives. They were like 
the sacrificial animals who were laid upon the altars at the temple. In return, they received white robes, which is representative of their purity, worthiness, and salvation. And 12 to 17. <clears throat> and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig, fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens opened as a scroll is opened, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Okay. So this is the sixth seal, and this covers about 1,000 A.D. to 2,000 A.D. This time period precedes the second coming of Jesus Christ, and John records some signs of the second coming that are also recorded in other places in Scripture. The last days are filled with signs meant to help remind and prepare mankind for the coming of Jesus Christ. The message here is, in these verses is that it will be a time of destruction and that the earth and nature will be in commotion and no matter how powerful a man might be he cannot escape it the question in verse 17 shows how completely reaching and wait how completely reaching the destruction will be for the question is who shall be able to stand an answer to this question is in chapter 7 Elder Bruce R. McConkie says from the Millennial Messiah, quote, we are now living in the Saturday night of time. The millennial morning will soon, sorry, I heard something. The millennial morning will soon dawn. This is the end of the sixth seal and the seventh seal will soon be open. Our modern revelation tells us plainly that Christ will come sometime after the opening of the seventh seal. It will be during the 7,000 years and after the events listed in the 8th chapter of John's writings, end quote. Okay, something I really loved about uh, talking scripture, what they mentioned about these verses or this uh, chapter was how there's shaking. And I didn't really catch it, but I love that they brought that up and... Um, cause they they were saying like, how do you, uh, how do you get things off of a tree that are like weak or, you know, that aren't producing good fruit and you shake them to get those weak ones off. And I know nothing about farming or anything like that, but I do remember whenever we would walk past the Armitstead's, um, grove of peach trees that there would always be like tons of peaches on the floor, like on the ground. And I'm like, huh, that's too bad you didn't like catch those in time, you know? Um, but I guess um, those are the bad ones. Those are not even ones that you would want to eat. They're like 
I mean, I've eaten some of them, let's be honest. But um, but they're not like the really good fruit. And the really good ones that are worth selling are the ones that, are, that stay strong on the branches. And those are the ones that you can pluck off because they held strong. And um, what they were saying about this is that um, that's what they mean. That's what the scriptures mean by who's going to who's going to be able to stand, who's going to be able to stand that shaking. Cause it's kind of like a sifting, like shaking the bad stuff off. Once the bad things get shaken off, then whatever remains is, is the strong fruit is the strong, um, the, the good fruit. Right. And so I love that they've made that connection and helped us to see that that's what was happening there in these verses. And then um, they talked about how in the other seals there was famine, war, uh, sickness, death, and so lots of things. But that now the earth needs to be cleansed. And, and so that's what that shaking is happening. It's like we're getting rid of the bad stuff. Um, okay. Uh, one more thing that they talked about that I thought was really neat was how different how Jacob five is not just um, referring to the people of Israel, for example, but that it can be applied to your own life, your own personal life. You could have your own Jacob five um, and you could specify, or you could connect certain things about Jacob five into your own life and how the Lord takes things out of your life and roots those out and then grafts things in and, and it's all for our benefit and for our good because he knows what's best. And he said, or one of them said that there was a story that someone shared. I don't know where, but it seemed like it was an apostle or a general authority. Anyways, a little girl who was riding a train who was blind and she was riding with her dad and she was on her dad's lap. And someone saw that he was riding with his daughter on his lap for a long time. And so he came and decided he would come and help and offer some help. And so he's like, Hey, I'll hold her for a little bit, you know? And so then the guy was like, sure, you know, there you go. And then he realized a few moments later that his daughter probably didn't know who was holding. Him. And so she, he asked her, do you know who's holding you? And he said, or, and his daughter said, no, but you do. And I thought that was so special and so sweet. And, and Mike or Bryce, whoever it was that was talking, said that wouldn't it be great for us to apply that uh, childlike characteristic and reply to all of our trials um, that we don't know why things are happening to us, but he does. And that we just continue to press forward with faith. Regardless of the things that happen to us, but that we continue to stay strong. And so I really like that they talked about that because when I think about all the things that happen in those different seals, like those people had to go through so much, you know, and they probably, a lot of them struggled, you know, I mean, even in Moses's day, um, I mean, in Noah's Ark, it was like only eight people on the ark. That means like everyone else died. Like what? 
now is there only eight people uh, that were saved amongst everyone. And so, you know, they suffered a lot and and some sometimes that suffering brings us closer to Christ and sometimes we don't allow it to bring us closer to Christ. And we choose to allow it to be our stumbling block. And so I, I always feel bad for those peeps um, who had to suffer, but who didn't know why, who did not, uh, don't remember, you know. Okay, so now we're going to be reading Revelation chapter 7. And, oh, and one other example, um, the, I really liked, and I wanted to preserve this here, but I really liked that they said that there was uh, the, the symbolism of a lamb with 12 horns was, how do you picture a lamb if you give him one horn? Well, you put, a, you put the horn in the middle like a unicorn. And then what, what would, where would you put two horns on a lamb? And you probably do like, you know, two horns, like a cow or like a reindeer kind of a thing, right? But then what would you do with, with 12 horns? Where would you put them? And I was like, man, I don't even know. And one of them was like, you know, like a dinosaur, you could do like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, there you go. And it's funny, it didn't even occur to me. But then he goes, no, you put him in a circle on, on his head and you make it. And it represents like a crown, a crown. And here's the thing, like crowns you can take off and you can put on. And this, they didn't say this, but. I, I'm just thinking of it now. Crowns you can put on and take off and you can, you know, get ready and do all those things. But horns, those are a part of you. So, so Christ, you see this little symbolic lamb with 12 horns. And 12, you know, signifies the 12 tribes of Israel, which is like everyone on the earth. And then you see... A little lamb with with those 12 and you're just like that's crazy but it makes sense because the horns are part of Jesus Christ like like we are his glory and he did everything for us and we are part of him and he can't take he can't take it off he can't he doesn't take a break it's built in you know those horns they're just like in there they'll forever be a part of them you see a lamb like horns that thing's gonna forever be a part of them and i just thought that that was so cool that they brought that 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 visual i thought it was like a really cool visual and that horns you can't and that they said it was the 12 tribes of israel of course and how uh, the crown is um, symbolic of him, uh, that we are his glory, his work and his glory. But then the fact that like, that they're horns, I was like, well, why are they horns? Why didn't he just say crown? And that's because horns are just a part of them, just always a part. So he, he's never gonna take a break and kind of goes along with the whole uh 
if he's so perfect, why did he keep those marks on his hands and his feet and his side? You know, but he got rid of the thorn, the crown of thorns dots on his forehead because, you know, that's weird. And that wasn't necessary. But, but the hands and the feet, so you know he could get rid of some, but he couldn't get rid of, he chose not to get rid of the others. So anyways, I think it's like that. Um, and that's probably why it was super symbolic with that. But, okay, so anyways, um, I thought that was really neat too. Okay, Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel descending or ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Asher, Az, Azur, were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Neph, Neph, Nephthalon, no. Ugh, I think it's Nephtali. Nephtalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the car, tribe of Zebulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Okay, so really quick, that's up to verse 8. So Joseph Smith asked the Lord for the meaning of verses 1 to 3 received, and this is the answer that he received. So this was like um, earlier when, I, when we were talking about the angel ascending from the east, the wind. Okay, so the question, what are we to understand by the four angels spoken of in the seventh chapter and first verse of Revelation? Answer, we are to understand that they are four angels sent forth from God to whom is given power over the four parts of the earth to save life and to destroy. These are they who have the everlasting gospel to commit to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people having power to shut up the heavens, to seal up unto life or to cast down the regions of darkness. Question, what are we to understand by the angel ascending from the east? Revelation 7th chapter and 2nd verse. We are to understand that the angel ascending from the east is he to whom is given the seal of the living God over the twelve tribes of Israel. Wherefore he crieth unto the four angels, having the everlasting gospel, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in, the four, in their foreheads. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was to come to gather together the tribes of Israel and restore all things. Question, what time are the things spoken of in this chapter to be accomplished? Answer, they are to be accomplished in the 6,000 years or the opening of the sixth seal. What we learn here is that the destruction is being withheld until a large number of saints are sealed or receive specific priesthood ordinances. End quote. <clears throat> wow. So until 
a large number of saints are sealed or receive specific priesthood ordinances. Hmm. So of these angels, the Lord taught in verse 8 that these angels have power over the four parts of the earth to save life and to destroy. The number four here indicates that they have power over the entire earth. These angels also have the everlasting gospel to commit to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And they have the sealing power. This is what prophets, say, prophets have said about these angels. President Joseph Fielding Smith said, quote, These angels have been given power over the four parts or quarters of the earth, and they have the power of committing the everlasting gospel to the peoples of the earth, end quote. Or, or, and I should say, Wilfred Ridruff, quote, those angels have left the portals of heaven and they stand over those people and this nation now and are hovering over the earth, waiting to pour out the judgments. And from this very day, they shall be poured out, end quote. And this is from Susa Young Gates, Young Women's Journal, 1894. Okay, and then for Revelation 4 to 8, there, there are various opinions on what this means. The question often is whether John is speaking literally or symbolically, and the safest way to read his words is to know that it is at least symbolic. For example, in this case, the question is if the number 144,000 is literal or symbolic. The symbolism of 12 times 12,000 can represent a breath of the priesthood in the last days. The number of 12 represents divine government, hence the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles, or the priesthood. How Here we can see that during the last days, the blessings of the gospel through the priesthood will extend throughout the world as Israel is gathered. The gathering will be so effective that 12 times 12,000, or a very large number, will receive their calling and election. Joseph Smith taught that the sealing in their foreheads Signify sealing the blessing upon their heads, meaning the everlasting covenant, thereby making their calling and election, and election sure. End quote. And that's in the history of the church. Revelation. Okay, so then we're going to read 9 to 17. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds kindreds and people in tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb and all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever amen and one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of the great out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sunlight on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Okay. So 9 to 17. How many shall be saved? How many will find salvation? Though a great multitude, which no man could number. 
What did they have? What did they all have in common? These are they, which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made one made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If you want to sum up mortality and coming unto Christ, despite all that mortality brings, that is a great way to do it. Hmm. It's so true. Wouldn't you want that to be said about us? Elder Neil L. Anderson references 13, 15, and 17, those verses when he said, quote, For you, the righteous, the healer of our souls, in his, in his time and his way, will heal all your wounds. No injustice, no persecution, no trial, no sadness, no heartache, no suffering, no wound, however deep, however wide, however painful, will be excluded from the comfort, peace, and lasting hope of him whose open arms and whose wounded hands will welcome us back into his presence. At that day, the Apostle John testifies the righteous which come out of great tribulation will stand arrayed in white robes before the throne of God. The Lamb will dwell among us, and God shall wipe away all our tears from your eyes. This day will come. End quote. Mm. Elder Neil Anderson, October 2018 General Conference. Speaking of which, we have uh, a new apostle after the death of, or the passing of President Ballard. A new apostle gets to be appointed, and it is it is Elder Patrick Kieran. And so he's the newest apostle and the one that probably looks the youngest. <laughs> but I think it's so cool. I can't remember specifically the talks that he's given, but I do remember that when he's given talks, I have wanted to make quotes out of things that he said. So that's awesome, right? Um, okay, and then Elder Evan A. Schmutz says, quote, when all is finished and we have endured all things with faith in Jesus Christ, we have the promise that God shall wipe away all the tears from our eyes, end quote. Don't you love these quotes? They're the best. This one was from October 2016 General Conference. And then President Brigham Young says this, he will, quote, he will come to receive his own and rule and reign king of nations. He does king as he does king of saints, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. He will banish sin from the earth and its dreadful consequences. Tears shall be wiped from every eye and there shall be nothing to hurt or destroy in all God's holy mountain, end quote. And that's from President Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, section 11, 119. Okay, so we are going to pause there. We're on a Revelation chapter eight, page three. Okay, here we go. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels, which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. 
And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Okay, so wait, really quick, we're going to review one to two. It says that the principle here is great and dreadful judgments. So verses one and two, the seventh seal then opens and there are many things that happen before Jesus Christ comes to the earth. Before he comes, great judgments are poured out upon the earth. And chapters 8 and 9 outline what John saw before Christ comes. Again, Joseph Smith asked the Lord what was meant with the sounding of the trumpets in verse 2. And the question and answer is recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 77.12. Sets question. What are we to understand by the sounding of the trumpets mentioned in the 8th chapter of Revelation? Excuse me. Answer. We are to understand that as God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day he finished his work and sanctified it, and also performed man out of the dust of the earth, even so in the beginning of the 7,000 years will the Lord God sanctify the earth and complete the salvation of man and judge all things. And shall redeem all things except that which he hath not put into his power, when he shall have sealed all things unto the end of all things. And the sounding of the trumpets of the seven angels are the preparing and finishing of his work in the beginning of the seven thousand years. Then, wait, the preparing of the way before the time of his coming. End quote. Okay, so there is a, there is heavenly order to all that is occurring on earth. Trumpets announce and call things into action. These things will happen before Christ comes again. This is our time to prepare. These are the signs of his coming. Awesome. Okay, so we're on verse 4. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings in an earthquake and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared the, themselves to sound the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees was burnt up and all green grass was burnt up burnt up all right well let's make sure that we're not trying to keep our grass super green guys here's a note maybe if we Keep our grass brown. It won't burn up. <laughs> okay, it looks like somebody is now at the door. Okay, it was just Amazon. No worries. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm skipping ahead without reading the commentary. So, okay, I just read verse 8. No, just read verse 7, but we need to recap 3 to 5. Okay. In the ancient temple, there was an altar called the Altar of Incense. That was the place right before the veil that concealed the Holy of Holies. A priest would stand at the altar and burn incense and pray on behalf of Israel. It was a great honor to do this, and it was at this very altar that Zacharias, a temple priest, was praying when Gabriel appeared to him to announce the birth of John the Baptist. The burning incense, incense and the smoke that rose up from the incense symbolizes, symbolized the prayers of Israel and how they ascend to God. In fact, when Isaiah had a vision of God's throne, he said the house was filled with smoke. This is Isaiah 6, 4, meaning 
that the prayers had ascended to God. Here in verses 4 to 5, John sees that the prayers of the saints on earth have ascended to God. So the angel takes fire or coals from the altar and casts it down on earth, symbolizing that he is answering the prayers of the saints. Oh, maybe he could do it with something different. <laughs> Casting coals from a fire onto the earth sounds like meteors, and that's not as cool. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, symbolizing that he's answering the prayers of the saints. God's answer will descend and rain upon them, which comes in the form of the judgments of God upon the earth. It may be strange to think that destruction on the earth would answer the prayers of the saints, especially since they will be impacted by the destruction. But three, third Nephi is a great source for us to look to. The Nephites experienced intense catastrophes, but then Christ came and they experienced peace that had never before existed among the Nephites. Okay, something that I was reading about this actually um, was how, let me see if I can get it right. Christ, when before Christ came, um, before he came to the Nephites and before he announced who he was, because first they heard a voice, right? Um, he first did not announce who he was, but instead was announcing how he had been pouring out judgments upon the people. And this is, let me see if I can go back and read some of these things, but it is, it found in third Nephi and, um, man, I really, let me, let me go find it. Okay. So I found it and it is found in third Nephi chapter seven. Just kidding. Third, third Nephi chapter eight is when tempests, earthquakes, fires, whirlwinds, and physical upheavals attest the crucifixion of Christ. So this was, uh, a, A.D. 33 to 34, and many people are destroyed. Darkness covers the land for three days. Those who remain bemoan their fate. Okay, so this is like crazy kind of second coming kind of stuff, it looks like, was going on in the land, right? Like just crazy earthquakes, fires, whirlwinds, physical upheavals. Okay, and this was because Jesus Christ was crucified. But this was one of those signs that they had been waiting for, right? Okay, now, okay, this is chapter 8 of Third Nephi. Then in chapter 9, in the darkness, the voice of Christ proclaims the destruction of many people and cities for their wickedness. So this is Christ now speaking in the darkness. And he's talking about all the things that have been destroyed. So-and-so has been killed. So-and-so has been destroyed. This city has been destroyed. And he says it's all because of their wickedness. And then he also proclaims his divinity, announces the law of Moses is fulfilled, and invites men to come unto him and be saved. Okay? So, pretty wild that first, when he was talking in the darkness, he was just talking about all the things that just happened. The wickedness that just had, or the, the wicked people who had just been destroyed, um, or I guess I can't say wicked people because it's just they were making wicked choices right um the many people that were destroyed in the different cities and so 
And then it was um, silence in the land for many hours after all that happened. Okay, and, and that's what's crazy because like, I always think of the part, I never think of Christ talking about all the bad stuff that happened. I always just remember like, oh, everybody was quiet. He came and it was like amazing, right? But I never realized that he came first and first talked about everything that had happened and the destruction that was taking place. Um, and then he kind of talks about himself and how um, these people were the more righteous part of the people that had been preserved, right? Like they were just more righteous than the people that had just died. And so like, I mean, if you were part of a family and one of your family members died and then you hear Jesus talking about, you, these guys were destroyed for their wickedness, blah, blah, blah. You'd be like, that's so sad. I didn't even know they were wicked, you know? And then they'd be like, you, he would be like, you're preserved because of your righteousness. And I mean, I'm going to be honest. If any one of my family members dies, I am not going to be want, wanting to feel like I'm some kind of a more righteous person than them. I probably would want to also be dead with those, with my family member slash members, you know, whoever, like, I would not feel like all happy about the fact that now I get to be alive without that family member in my family. Like that doesn't sound awesome. <laughs> so, so yeah, like that, I think that would be like so hard to be part of that. And I think that is what's happening. That's what's going to happen here in the second coming. And woo, yeah, like, sure, I'm glad that I was part of the more righteous people and that that's awesome. But I'm going to be super sad to have any member of my family not be there, you know? So I think that's why it's important for us to remember that the first people that we want to convert are our family members. Because if anything happens to them, like, we're going to feel so bad and we're going to feel like we could have done more for them, right? Okay, um, so let's see. Okay, so we're back at, so anyway, that's Third Nephi chapter 8, okay, and then chapter 9, and then chapter 10. And, you know, Jesus Christ is actually still talking to them, and because he was talking to them about why everything was being destroyed, and then um, saying that, prophecies had been fulfilled and everything and then three days were passed okay and then um christ did show him uh unto the people of nephi uh did show himself unto the people of nephi in chapter 11 um as they were gathered together in the land bountiful and in on the temple grounds remember that okay so that is when the father testifies of jesus christ saying that this is my beloved son hear him okay now this is so crazy that i never know anything or i never knew anything or didn't realize that third third nephi chapter 8 9 and 10 talked about what how how jesus christ spoke to them and i was like this is wild it's still wild to think that i just learned this um i always just thought it was immediately like after all the destruction, boom, um, you know, Heavenly Father says something and then Jesus Christ descends out of heaven. Like what? 
how did this, how did this like little tidbit, which is massive, uh, escape me in all my readings? So, and this just goes to show you that you can learn something new from the Book of Mormon every day. Um, so keep reading because you find gems everywhere. And so I think this is amazing. And I think that that pattern that they have established with, hey, things are going to happen and then I'm going to speak in the darkness kind of thing is going to happen for us coming up when the, before the second coming. And I think that's why it's so important and why um, President Nelson has been emphasizing how important it is for us to um, stay close to the spirit because I don't, I don't know if it's going to be a voice from heaven like that, you know? I mean, it seems like that would be the best, but maybe it is going to be a voice within us, right? And so we need to be alert and awake and aware of that and, and be used to listening to that voice so that when that happens, we'll be there. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so now we're on verse eight, even though I'm like super off here. Um, okay. So we talked about the first angel sounded and there followed. Okay. So we're on verse. So I'll do verse seven. Okay. Um, the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of trees was burnt up and all green grass was burned up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain, burning with fire, was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star was called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten. And the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Okay, so we're going to recap up to there but I love that I, I mean I don't love but like I can see that there's something happening here with the third part right they mentioned the third part of something a lot now the only other place that I remember a third being mentioned is when Heavenly Father Heavenly Father's children need to make a choice in the pre-mortal life and in our pre-mortal lives. And so a third of heaven, okay, a third of the hosts of heaven is what it says in the scriptures, um, chose to, a third of the hosts of heaven, so the, a third of the spirits chose to follow the adversary, chose to follow Satan, or the son of the morning, or, um, and he, because of that, um, you know, I am sure Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother were devastated because anyone would be devastated to lose a third of their children, right? That'd be like, I mean, we have three kids. That'd be like losing one of our kids. That would be the worst. 
and you would probably try to send them messages that you remember them and think of them often. And so maybe these things signifying a third of things are to let those spirits know that they are still remembered, that they are missed, and that that they are loved, right? Just because somebody makes a bad choice doesn't automatically make you hate them. I mean, especially if they're your children, right? Like, if the shoe bit my face off, would I still love the shoe on my for sure. He turns to look at me. <laughs> would he get in big trouble? Oh yeah. Would we probably put him down? Dad would definitely do it. Okay. But I would still love him and because things like that don't immediately, you can't make people not love you because of something they did. People just, I mean, we can hate you, which is still a passionate, um, emotion and in order to hate something you have had to have loved it first but we're not going there right now but anyway so <laughs> it's just what i believe and i think it's i think it's kind of awesome that they are doing that or at least signifying it in um in scripture or like somehow you know someone recorded this and like that it was meaningful to record and the whole like one thing fell out of heaven the lamp fell out of heaven you know that could signify um satan falling out of heaven you know or son of the morning falling out of heaven he was a light and then what happens when lights fall at all they shatter right and then they become uh, unusable. You can't use that light anymore. You know, the lamp might still be in semi-good condition, but you know, the light is gone. No longer can it do what it was, what you hoped for it to do. And so anyway, I think that that's kind of like these verses seem really symbolic. Now, I don't know, um, what part of those are going to be like for real, but Let's see what Redheaded Hostess has to say, because I think it's interesting to to see about the third things, you know, third part of the trees, and third part of the creatures, and third part of the rivers, and third part of the stars, okay? And... It, it makes sense that we would be likened to stars um, in our pre-mortal life because we have light within us. We are beings of light. And so to re re refer to us as stars doesn't seem too crazy for, you know, to be out there thinking of that. Okay, so then it says, in answer to prayers of the saints, there are seven angels prepared to bring a series of plagues upon the earth. Again, we can ask ourselves if these signs are literal or figurative or both. For example, in verse 10 and 11, a star called Wormwood will come and fall upon the rivers and make the waters bitter so that many men will die. 
If we take this literally, someone might determine that a meteor will come and cause the waters to become impure, or it could be symbolic and mean that the waters that man is spiritually drinking cause bitter consequences upon the earth. Yeah, and if it's wormwood, remember we, I just said that that could be signifying the adversary falling from his um, light and not necessarily like a thing that's going to happen, but a thing that has already happened and how currently a lot of people are drinking the, the, what is it? What is it? What, what is it called? Anyway, I can't remember. It's like there's some kind of English idiom or something where you drink that you're drinking the wrong stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, I could probably help you with it. I don't know any of those, <laughs> but it sounds familiar, but like they're being convinced of the wrong things and they're, they're experiencing those bitter consequences because we're not choosing the right things. We're not choosing to drink from the living waters. And instead we're drinking the bitter and this wormwood was the cause of it. And, um, it makes sense to me in a figurative kind of a way. So, um, and then she, uh, Red Hosa says, the safest path for us is to know the prophecies and keep our eyes fixed on the prophets so we do not become like so many Nephites who were surrounded by signs yet missing them. And that's so true. Okay, verse 13. <clears throat> and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the, of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Okay, so the destruction from the first four angels is extensive and dreadful, yet greater judgments are still yet to come. Hmm. So... It seems like a lot of just destruction. I I want to say that these things have already happened. And so they were just trying to help us understand how things have been coming to pass. But again, this is mom's scriptural speculation. And I'm not even sure. And I'll be honest, I haven't even listened to the talking scripture on this because I did kind of want my own... Um, my own thoughts about it before I get more thoughts on it, right? Like I wanted to have my own base um, of where to start because I think that when we read scriptures on our own, before anyone has told us their ideas, we are less biased to somebody else's interpretation of scriptures and we are able to listen to what the spirit is trying to tell us instead of what the spirit was trying to tell them. Does that make sense? Um, because it's harder to hear what the Spirit's trying to tell you through them because they're listening to the Spirit that was inspiring them at the time that they read their scriptures. You see how it gets complicated if you don't just read your own scriptures? So that's why it's super essential to read your scriptures first before you get any other information from other places. Now, that's not to say that you're not allowed or that 
other places can't help you because let me tell you, it is the only way that I can read scriptures is knowing that I have other peeps to gain wisdom from because I can't interpret things this, the same way. And sometimes I don't get any interpretations at all. I'm just like that. I have no idea what that means. And in fact, I'm more confused because I read that instead of less confused. And so then I need somebody else's. I need that third party to come in and be like, what about this? And I'll be like, oh, you know, that is, that is it. Or, you know, I kind of like what they said, but you know, and then you kind of listen to what the spirit's trying to tell you. And I love that dad, uh, listens to all kinds of different podcasts about the come follow me. I think that's so cool because then you can kind of get a bunch of different, um, interpretations of scripture and then you can still come up with your own, but I for sure like to do this first. And sometimes if I have time, I will listen to the other ones, but then sometimes I don't have time. And, but I want to make sure that I get in the scriptures first. And because if I don't have time, or if I have time to listen to the other ones and I don't have time to actually be in the scriptures myself, then I actually feel bad that I didn't get in the scriptures myself, but that other people got in the scriptures for me. And you know what I mean? So anyways, get in the scriptures, just open them up and read them. Eventually they will make sense. <laughs> kind of like these verses here. I, I had no idea. And before, like, I love that I was able to remember that the Nephites experience the same thing you know for christ coming to the nephites but how i didn't realize they that we had chapters 8 to 10 talking about before christ descended out of heaven so anyways it super cool things happening in the scriptures and you know i wouldn't have thought of that had redheaded hostess not actually inspired me to go there but then i love just being able to read the raw scriptures. So, okay, we are now on chapter, or Revelation chapter nine, page four. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven onto the earth, and to the angel was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth uh, in parentheses i would put why because we need to burn it i don't get it <laughs> Keep going. Neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had their, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. 
and they had breastplates. Wait, I wonder if the teeth as lions means like big teeth and white teeth. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron and sound of their wings was the sound of the chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions and there were stings in their tails and their power was to hurt men five months. I don't know about this five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollon. Or Apollon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Okay. So that was angel number five. It says the earth now has already received the plagues from four of the angels. And now comes the fifth angel. And the angel sounds the trumpet. John sees a fallen star come from heaven, which Elder McConkie explains is Lucifer. Oh, see, the bottomless pit is the one is then opened and smoke comes out and darkens the sky. And the darkness covers the earth, then locusts come forth. Locusts were greatly feared insects because they would come in large numbers and mercilessly destroy crops. John seems to be using this, the comparison of locusts to an army with weapons that are unknown to John. Hmm. I wonder if because they're locusts, they like, they suck the life out of you, right? And if they mercilessly destroy crops, what could crops signify like hard work? Um, families, families that have worked hard to stay together kind of thing. Okay, so what Elder McConkie explains is, quote, John here seeks to describe a war fought with weapons and under circumstances entirely foreign to any experience of his own or of the people of that day. Joel's subject is to, er, Joel subject to the same limitation of descriptive ability attempted to portray the same scenes in the words found in Joel 2, 1 to 11. It is not possible that these ancient prophets were seeing such things as men wearing or protecting were protected by strong armor as troops of cavalry and companies of tanks and flamethrowers as airplanes and airborne missiles which explode fire shells and drop bombs and even other weapons yet to be devised in an age when warfare is the desire and love of wicked men." End quote. In verse 11, John points out that they have a king over them whose name is Abaddon, Hebrew, or Apollyon, Greek. This name means destroyer. Note that John says that he is the angel of the bottomless pit. These armies might have commanders with various names and faces, but the reality is that their king is Satan, who seeks to bring about the destruction of as many souls as possible. He is truly their commander. Joseph Smith said, in chapter 12, verse 9 of Revelation, it reads that old serpent called the devil 
and it ought to be translated devil in this case and not dragon. It is sometimes translated apple yarn, end quote. So that's in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. Okay, interesting stuff. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loosed the four angels, which are bound to the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. Okay, and two, that's 200 million, by the way, is what that means, supposed to mean. Okay, so commentary on those verses 13 to 16. Now the sixth angel sounds his trumpet and four angels are loose. These four angels had been bound. And Elder McConkie explains that these are four of Satan's mighty angels loosed to influence and lead men in that final war, which shall slay the third part of men. Ooh, that's not nice. Verse 15 explains that these angels will be loosed at a def definite period of time, a time that man may not know, but God does. And they will lead an army larger than has ever been seen, a true world war. The number given is 200,000, 200, so 200, 200 million men. Huh. 200 million men. Whether this is a literal or figurative, we cannot know. But it is clear that it will be a massive war that will affect the entire earth. Wonder if that's the plague of pornography, because it affects so many. Verse 17 to 21, okay? And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke of brimstone and smoke and brimstone. By these, there was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Okay, and then there's still more coming after that. It says... <clears throat> Our verses 17 to 21 are full of symbols to try to describe the relentless destructiveness of these warriors. They had the constant work of death going before them and behind them, yet those who were not killed were not moved to repentance. This shows the state of the hearts of mankind upon the earth at this time. Even after all the signs, even after all the angels seeking to sanctify the earth, they refuse to repent. Quote, 
from Orson Pratt. Quote, these personages who come forth riding upon these beasts are prepared for an hour, for a day, for a month, and for a year, and their work is to slay a third part of the hosts of men then existing upon the earth. And as they are prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year, it shows there will be quite a lapse of time between the sounding of the trump of the sixth and seventh angel, end quote. Yeah, they mentioned even something about like five months. Okay, and then another quote by Orson Pratt. One would imagine that all the earth would repent when they see judgments of this kind. Yet we are told that for all this, the people will blaspheme God because of their plagues, sores and pains and the calamities they have to endure. They are given up to hardness of heart. The spirit of God is withdrawn from them. And instead of repenting of the evil of their evil deeds, their murders, sorceries, whoredoms, idolatries, thefts and various crimes that are mentioned, they continue in their wickedness and judgment after judgment is poured upon them until they are consumed. Mm. Okay, that is Revelation chapter nine. Okay, Revelation chapter 10, page five. Okay, somehow my headphones have died, so I apologize. Revelation 10, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with the cloud and the rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire and he had in his hand a little book open and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth and when he cried seven thunders uttered their voices and when the seven thunders uttered their voices. I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to, the, to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer but in the days of the voice of the seventh, an seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And went unto the angel, or, and I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the book, the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up and it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as it, I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Okay. So a little bit of commentary on that. <clears throat> this is not the seventh angel bringing judgments upon the earth, but rather 
a magnificent, powerful, and indescribable being appearing to John and giving him specific instruction. Some suggest that this is the angel Michael. This angel is holding a little book or a small scroll. And when he holds it, he sets his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth, possibly showing John that what was in that book would affect the entire earth. John then heard the seven angels speaking and what he heard was a t what he heard he was told not to write. And the angel in verse one wishes for no more delay. In verse 8 to 10, John is told to eat up the little book, and he does, which signifies John's willingness to accept his mission. And Doctrine and Covenants 7714 explains the little book which was eaten by John was a mission and an ordinance for him to gather the tribes of Israel. End quote. When he partook of the book, it was sweet in his mouth but then made his belly upset, possibly meaning that when John digested the book and understood what was to come, he realized that the gathering of Israel would include grief, sorrow, persecutions, and bitterness. Hmm. I wonder if that's how we would all feel after we swallow our little books, right? Or eat our little books. Okay, um, Gerald and Lund said this, Quote, the little book chapter at first seems totally out of place and not part of the chronological flow. A mighty angel appears, gives John a small book and requests that he eat it. Then John, or when John does so, he finds it as sweet as honey in his mouth, but it makes his belly bitter. He was told that it was a mission and an ordinance for him, John, to gather the tribes of Israel. In other words, in the midst of, vision, of the vision of the last days, it is as if the Lord pauses and says to John, since you will live during these times, you may wish to know what you'll be doing. Here's your mission and calling, end quote. Mm. Interesting, Gerald N. Lund, Selected Writings of Gerald N. Lund, book, page 77. Okay, so now we're on chapter 11. on chapter 11, page six. So really quick, just wanted to give an update about the family. So dad's finally getting a little bit better. He's going on like six weeks of being sick or whatever. Pretty crazy. Okay, maybe it's not six weeks. Maybe it's like five or four, but it feels like forever. I'm sure he could tell you. Um, and it, we've been going on three, three weeks for Finn. So finally we got him into the doctor and again and this time i was like he needs he needs like some kind of antibiotic please just give my son this anyway so amazing the doc the nurse practitioner just gave him the amoxicillin of course we had to spend like a hundred to just get in there and then we were wait waiting for forever and then finally the nurse practitioner came in but you know what it's totally worth it because when our bodies are feeling so sick and just not doing well, like that's what you need. Just get your medicine. Sometimes that is why I'm glad that I live in these latter days because we have that modern medicine that helps us so much. We do not have to suffer unless we really want to kind of thing. Um, and poor Finn, he was like, I just don't want us to spend all this money on me getting better. And I was like, okay, well, 
you got to spend money to feel better. You got to spend money to make money. You got to spend money to live. I mean, everything is all about money. So it's better to spend money on trying to help us feel healthy and 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 good than waste money on things that are not going to be of that important, right? So anyway, I was just like, got to have got to have him feeling better. So anyway, he took two yesterday and this morning he's already feeling better, he said. And so I'm so glad because I was nervous that maybe they were right, that he didn't need an antibiotic, but nope, mom was right. He needed an antibiotic. Um, and today we get to take 10 kids to a birthday party and I brought it upon myself because I have a big van and was like, yeah, can I take, um, kids and I reached out to the mom and was like so this is in Saratoga Springs do you think that people are going to need carpool and she's like yeah probably so you know she I asked her to tell me like who everybody was that was being invited and I was like okay I know most of these people so I reached out to them and or they reached out to me and we've coordinated rides and so it ended up being 10 kids that were going we are full to the brim but you know what's good about this is the fact that if we can get to be friends that are really good, really good, wholesome friends, then this ride to just a birthday party can also be something that we can look forward to, like rides to the temple and stuff like that, right? So anyways, I was just like, this is so cool. And I love the whole fact that I can give a ride and give rides. So that's what we're going to do today. And today I also have my first outsourced order or my first three outsourced orders for one of my clients. And it's so cool because they gave me a price and then I marked it up and then uh, gave the client the price and the client accepted. So then I told, so then I placed the order with the outsourced printer and dude, they're pretty close and everything too. And so I'm like, this is going to be awesome because I don't even have to print it. I just have to like design it and pick it up. So Anyways, it's going to be awesome. Okay, got to go. Bye. Okay, we're back. And by the way, Finn taking medicine, great idea. He's continually improving each day. I picked up the prints and everything. Everything turned out fantastic. So it's pretty awesome. Okay, Revelation chapter 11. Here we go. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. Okay, so John was given a reed to measure the temple. Some suggest that this is like when Ezekiel saw the temple measured, and the temple that Ezekiel saw was the millennial temple. Okay, verse 2. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot for forty and two months. Okay, so for some reason, John is told to leave out those who are outside of the temple, meaning those who cannot enter further in. The court of the Gentiles was just outside of the temple. It is then prophesied that the holy city or Jerusalem will be given to the Gentiles for a period of time. The meaning of 40 and two months is not yet known, but could symbolize a time of tribulation during which time wickedness is allowed to linger but it will eventually come to an end. And I just want to say, like, I remember them saying something about, like, the number 40 being, like, a really long time. 
whew, being a really long time and not necessarily actually 40. And so maybe, have you ever heard the expression like forever in two days, you know, or like something like that? I wonder if that's kind of like what he meant. Like it's going to take forever plus two more, two more days or two more months. So anyway, just maybe that's it too. Maybe it's just like a lot plus extra. So verse, okay, now we're going to read verses three to 14. And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it ring not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast and ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So he was crucified in Jerusalem, right? And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead, shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put to, in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them, tormented them that dwelt in the earth or on the earth. That's crazy. And after three days and a half, the spirit of, of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them and <clears throat> the same hour was there a great earthquake and the tenth part of the city fell and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand and the remnant were aff affrighted and gave glory to god of heaven to the god of heaven the second woe is past and behold the third woe cometh quickly Okay, so some commentary. The two witnesses spoke of, spoken of in these verses are prophets just before the seventh angel sounds the seventh trump. At this time, the wicked will have power and control over Jerusalem, and these prophets will go among them to prophesy to them. They will have powerful testimonies, and their witness will be mighty. They are figuratively clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth was an unforgettable, unrefined material that people in mourning would wear to outwardly show how they were feeling inwardly. These prophets are aware of the times they live and what is soon coming, and they will carry that burden with them. These are true prophets with priesthood power and keys. Elder McConkie explains, quote, these two shall be followers of that humble man, Joseph Smith, through whom the Lord of heaven restored the fullness of his everlasting gospel. 
in this final dispensation of grace, no doubt, they will be members of the Council of the Twelve or of the First Presidency of the Church. Their prophetic ministry to rebellious Jewry shall be the same in length as was our Lord's personal ministry among their rebellious forebears. The two olive trees and the two candlesticks are symbols of the of the two witnesses, meaning perhaps that as olive trees, they shall pro provide oil for the lamps of those who go forth to meet the bridegroom. And that as lamp stands, they shall reflect to men that light which comes from him who is the light of the world, end quote. Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, Elder Bruce Armacanti. These prophets will be protected from their enemies until they have completed their mission, and then they will be killed, and their bodies will lie in the streets. The level of evil is evident by the actions of the wicked, who will refuse to bury their bodies and send gifts to one another in celebration of the death of the prophets. Ooh. It's better not have it in our lifetime, dude. That is not cool. Um, but after three days, these prophets will be resurrected and they will ascend into heaven. A great earthquake will then appear that causes a large part of the city to fall. And then it is time for the seventh angel to sound the trumpet. Ooh, that's going to be a major... That is going to be major. I guess, I guess it, that would, that's not going to be cool. I just said that's not going to be cool, but then they get resurrected. So then maybe you just kind of leave them because you know it's happening. You know it's going to come. But that's going to be really sad that day. Okay, 15 to 19. Um, the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints and them that fear the, thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of, the, of his testament, and there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. Okay, so it's going to be, it's going to be wild. All right, Revelation chapter 12. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. 
Okay, so this chapter shows us the difference between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. In the last chapter, John learned that the kingdoms of this world are become, to become the kingdoms of our Lord. So John will learn more of what that means in Revelation, Revelation 12 to 14. The woman represents God's kingdom. The woman is not clothed in armor or another worldly garment, but she is clothed in the sun. This woman does not just have a bright light, but she has all light and it radiates from her. Elder McConkie explained the symbolism of the moon when he taught, as the moon shines by reflected light, so do all earthly churches and kingdoms. They are, they are under, beneath the lower than the true church. The highest eternal reward they can offer is the terrestrial kingdom, whose glory is like the moon. So this church of God is upon the earth and it reflects the light of the celestial kingdom. The 12 stars represent governing priesthood of the church, namely the apostles. The child within the woman is the kingdom of our God and his Christ. So the child that comes forth from the woman is the church and the kingdom of God upon the earth. It is born of the kingdom of God in heaven, which before the millennium will be ecclesiastical only. But after the millennium, which is what John is learning about here, when the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord, it will be more than just an ecclesiastical church. During the, quote, during the millennium, the kingdom of God will be both political and ecclesiastical, end quote. Oh, that will be amazing. You know what I'm saying. Guide to the scriptures, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Okay. Now we read verses three to four. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and beheld a great red dragon, having seven heads and seven horns and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail grew, or sorry, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born okay so <clears throat> then there is a great red dragon what is a dragon it is a large relentless ferocious serpent in fact the word translated into dragon could also be large serpent oh that's interesting i didn't know that Horns on an animal signify strength, and the more heads on a monster has, the more terrible it is. Each head has a crown, which denotes the power that Satan will have upon the earth. Seven is often used to symbolize perfection, so this dragon represents the ultimate in wickedness. Snap, dude. Verse 4 captures Lucifer, drawing one-third of the hosts of heaven, who were once stars, remember that? away from God in the premortal existence. The visual of the dragon or great serpent using his tail to draw them away is vivid. The word for drew means to draw or drag. It does not suggest a tail that is lashing back and forth. Instead, this tail comes from behind and draws in the stars in heaven. They are carefully convinced drawn in. And when they are cast to the earth, the spirits who, with no chance of receiving a body, what do they intend to do? Devour the child, the church of God, as soon as it was born. John was a living witness of the devouring that happened in the church, both during the days of Christ and the decades after his death and resurrection. Dude, that's crazy. Crazy symbolism right there, but 
Look at how it says to devour the child as soon as it was born. As soon as you start to learn about who you are, like be born again, maybe, then what, what happens? Satan's going to try to devour us, right? As soon as we are converted, that is like, to me, that's what that's, that means or what that could stand for. That's crazy. Okay. Uh, hey, you got a bathroom really bad. Okay. So, uh, I went to the bathroom. That was great, but my, I still have tummy troubles. And so it's crazy. There's always something, you know, like I woke up early and was like, this will be great. It'll give me a solid this many minutes to, to do this reading. And I, I was thinking I could at least get super close to finishing because I was, I'm at 11 and we got to get to 14. And anyways, I was like 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes should be good. But then it would give me enough time to get ready still and go to ward council. But it seems that I'm literally incapable of anything except laying here on my stomach for now. So we're going to pause. And we're on Revelation chapter 11, verse 5. Okay, we are back into action. Still during that time of the month here. So you never know what's going to happen. But um, we got all of our binders to our teachers and got a lot of stuff to the kids on Sunday. Because Christmas is this coming week. Christmas Eve. So anyways, I need to, I need to text the parents, let them know that we got to practice the song so that they can, so the kids can practice at home. Um, okay. <clears throat> That's a good reminder. Let me pause. Okay. And, um, yesterday we actually did kind of a change of our routine and we signed up for Vasa and, we now Finn is going to be my new workout partner and it went really great yesterday. He woke up on his own. I woke up on my own. We were fantastic. Um, and even after it was like on our way to school after we had, or on our way after we finished his teeth appointment and everything, um, we went to, we were on our way back to school and he's like, I don't know why mom, but I'm happy. <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh, that's so cute. And I was thinking, like, what were some things that could have contributed to that? And we were talking about it. And we were like, yep, probably the workout is what really makes us happy. You know, when you get a good, solid workout in, in the morning, before you do all your junk, just makes you feel solid, like, really awesome. You know, like, I don't know, it's just awesome. And anyway, we had a good trainer. She was excited about Finn being there and he was literally the youngest there by a lot pretty sure he was probably half of people's ages that were there so that was pretty cool um and then we and the reason why we sign up for that vasa red studio red thing is just because you know we just need somebody to give us the workouts tell us what we're doing and be there when we need your help because we did just could we could have just signed up for the regular Vasa and 
use the free weights and stuff, but then you have to come up with your own workout or find it or, you know, something. This way you just show up, they give you the stuff, you get her done and you're out of there, you know? And it's kind of like showing up to work. Like, and, you know, Finn doesn't understand this concept, but you just show up to work, you do all the things that you were told to do, and then you leave work. Like, there's no pressure. Like, why did I even have to start becoming an entrepreneur? <sighs> I could have just had, like, a regular job. But regular jobs, I guess, aren't challenging my brain enough. And so ADHD peeps like me like to create more work for themselves. Anyways, so there we go. Uh, okay, we're on Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. Or, just sorry, verse 5. We barely got through anything last time. <laughs> okay, let's get with it. Oh, but you know what? It is already an hour and 36 minutes in. So I think what I'll do is I'll finish this one, and then we'll start Revelation 12 to 14 on a different one, just so that it's not so long. Okay. <clears throat> and there was, sorry. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. It's not dramatic at all, is it? <sighs> and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where, where also our Lord was crucified. And he was in, crucified in Jerusalem, I guess. What is he saying like that? Now it's called Sodom and Egypt? Huh. And they of the people and the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. I do not want to see that. You know what I mean? That's going to be so sad. If that is very literal and not just figurative, I am not going to want to be alive to see that. I think I'm going to end up seeing it anyway, because if I die, I'm going to see it. And if I'm here, I'm going to see it. Ugh. I just don't want to see that. But this part might be able to, we might be able to see it if this happens. And after, or I guess I shouldn't say if it happens, but like when, you know. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. They better. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great earthquake and the 10th part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000 and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Woo, that's crazy. And this, the second woe is past and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Okay, so... That's intense, and I don't know why, but I was listening to talking scripture, and they didn't address that, so I'm a little bit confused. But, or no, actually, I only got to chapter 10. 
I'm talking scripture. So maybe it's coming. I'm curious what they're going to say. So it says the two witnesses spoken of these verses are prophets just before the seventh angel sounds the seventh trump. At this time, the wicked will have power and control over Jerusalem. And these prophets will go among them to prophesy to them. They will have powerful testimonies and their witnesses will be mighty. They are figuratively clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth was an uncomfortable, unrefined material that people are in mourning would wear to outwardly show they were feeling inwardly. How they were feeling inwardly. These prophets are aware of the times they live and what is soon coming and they will carry that burden with them. These are true prophets with priesthood power and keys. Elder McConkie explains this. Okay, hold on. I slow this down. I'm going so fast. But I wanted to cover ground because I'm only at half. Okay. Here we go. These two shall be followers of that humble man, Joseph Smith, through whom the Lord of heaven restored the fullness of his everlasting gospel in the final dispensation of grace. No doubt they will be members of the council of the 12 or of the first presidency of the church. Their prophetic ministry to rebellious Jewry shall be the same in length as was our Lord's personal ministry among their rebellious forebears. The two olive trees and the two candlesticks are symbols of the two witnesses, meaning perhaps that as olive trees, they shall provide oil for the lamps of those who go forth to meet the bridegroom, and that as lamps stand, they shall reflect to men that light which comes from him who is the light of the world. End quote. Okay, that's crazy. And if you are currently an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and you know these scriptures, I would be scared. It would be scary to feel that that is going to happen to some, to two of them. And what dedication that these men have to the Lord, that they are willing to say, yes, I will serve right? Just like a huge testimony of the fact that they don't do this because they get paid. They don't do this because it's easy. They don't do this because it's selfish of them. They don't do this because as soon as they become general authorities, they're going to get, you know, 25,000 followers, even though that's what Elder Kieran got. <laughs> that was pretty awesome, actually. And um, they don't do this for the, the glamour. And I just think it's amazing that these prophets and apostles would say yes after learning all this. Like, there's been so many. <laughs> and you got to think, you got to think. Well, when's this going to happen? Could it happen to me? Could it happen in my lifetime? I don't want to witness it, let alone be present. Although I do want to be present for when it, they get resurrected. I just can't bear the torture, you know? That's just not... Like, I can't even watch movies that are true stories because I hate real life happenings because Satan is sometimes so much in control of, of people and so yeah it's crazy so these prophets 
will be protected from their enemies until they have completed their mission and then they will be killed and their bodies will lie in the streets. The level of evil is evident by the actions of the wicked who will refuse to bury their bodies and send gifts one to another in celebration of the death of the prophets. But after three days, at least we won't have to endure that for longer than three days. But after three days, these prophets will be resurrected and they will ascend into heaven. A great earthquake will then appear that causes a large part of the city to fall. And then it is time for the seventh angel to sound the trumpet. Mm. Okay, so 15 to 19. And the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen, in his temple, the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and earth and an earthquake and great hail. Ooh, it's going to be a big thing. It's going to be amazing. Um, again, though, I guess it wouldn't matter if I was on the earth or not. Like, I'm going to get to witness it either way. But... This time, I'm going to remember everything. That's the difference, right? Because if you're in the pre-existent, if you're in the pre-mortal life right now, the benefit of, I guess the benefit and downfall of being there now and not being born yet is that you will forget all the things, all the evil that has happened in the world. And you can kind of start from scratch. But when I die, I'm going to remember everything and I'm going to see everything. And so it's going to be hard to endure those things, even though I know what's going to come and what's going to happen, right? Just because you know what's going to happen doesn't make it like, I mean, I guess it's supposed to make it easier, but it doesn't make it easier. Okay, uh, the seventh angel, the commentary here, the seventh angel sounds his trump, and those in heaven rejoice because they know that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. They know that the millennium is soon coming and will claim victory over the earth. And this is going to be amazing because this is all, this is what we've been waiting for. But it's so hard because this is also what we've been waiting for. Like, we might know where we stand, but we never know where our loved ones stand. And so it'll be great and not right at the same time. So where do you stand? And you better be there wherever I'm at. Because I need my family there. And who knows where where I'll be? Like, 
I love, there's a talk or something that says that we're all making it to the celestial kingdom kind of thing. But we don't know it. And I love that. But at the same time, I'm like, who's the, who are they to say that we're going to make it? You know what I mean? But anyways, we're just always so hard on ourselves. So that's the hard part. Okay. Verses 16 to 18 capture what the 24 elders... will say just before the Savior comes to the earth. They know what is coming and they give thanks. They recognize the prayers of the saints that will now be answered. Oh yeah, I bet that we were praying tons when we saw those apostles being killed. How could we not, you know? How could we not be praying like, please let this be the second coming, right? Like, please. Um, yeah, like, last night, I had kind of a bad dream. And it's one of those torture dreams, which are the worst, you know? Definitely nightmare style, but not like Freddy Krueger style. But just things that would torture me. Because, because that's what Satan does. And when I went back to sleep, I had to put the Book of Mormon playing so that next to me, so that I could actually fall back asleep. It takes a lot to fight the adversary. But the Lord gives us so many tools. I was so glad that I had the Book of Mormon right there that I could just, I could, I didn't have energy to, to read, but I could play it. And immediately I felt better. I don't even know what it said. But I was so grateful. Anyways. So when he comes, when the second coming is here, it's going to be awesome because it's going to feel like you can breathe. It's going to feel like you can breathe, <laughs> like you can finally exhale. But at the same time, it could be sad because you don't know how your family's doing. So anyways, okay, and in verse 19, John sees, that the temple of God was opened, and he could see into the Holy of Holies, which had been previously concealed, and John sees the power that comes from there. And after that kind of vision for John, I could see how he'd be willing to do anything, you know? And how he'd be able to endure whatever it takes, whatever is necessary. Because he sees everything. He sees all the things. And so I'm going to stop right there. And that way um, I'll start Revelation chapter 12 in the next one. Thanks for showing up. Love you.